Well, happy Wednesday. <laughs> happy Wednesday. It's good to be here. Um, I, uh, so before we, uh, we, we have a few announcements. Just, uh, I just wanted to remind you of a couple things that are going on. This Friday, we're having Youth Fellowship Friday, and that's at the home of the Camachos. Um, and so just a reminder for those of you who have kids, it's this Friday, 6.30 or 7 p.m. And it goes from 7 to 10 p.m. Um, they will have dinner. So that's wonderful, right? We can send them off and not feed them. They'll be fed. We also have uh, Hands and Feet this Saturday, April 27th at 8 a.m. And that's at Cambridge Gardens. And so just, again, a quick reminder, be praying for that. Because last time um, we had a Bible study and it was well attended, uh, both in Spanish and in English. And uh, so pray for that ministry. It's, it's, it's becoming a little bit more than what uh, we had originally uh, been going for. And uh, it's just wonderful to be able to uh, teach the Word and have, have it well attended like that. And, uh, in a, and it's not a big, big uh, area. I mean, it's, uh, I don't know the number of residents that are there, but um, we had a total of what, 19? Is that right? Eric? Yeah? Something like that? Yeah. Which, which is great, because then that's our first study. And so the, the Lord stirs the hearts, and uh, that's what we're praying for, is the Holy Spirit to, to stir their hearts and to bring them there. So we have that. And then baptism this Sunday. So after service at 12.30 p.m., um, we have a baptism. If you haven't been baptized and um, you've been walking with the Lord, you've, you've surrendered your life to Him, then I, I would strongly encourage you um, to be obedient to the Word of God and to go and get baptized. Identifying with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It doesn't save you, but it does, um, for you, make a proclamation to the world that you identify with Christ. And so that's what I would encourage you to do. Um, The other thing that I want to um, talk about real quick is um, some of you have been to Haiti, right? You've been to Haiti, yeah, a couple times. And, um, or other countries, Mexico, right? And you see the conditions in which um, the people worship the Lord in. And, uh, you know, I was really deeply impacted um, in a good way uh, the, the very first time that I went to Haiti because I saw people, as I've told you before, walking in from far distances uh, with, uh, with chairs in their hands and, and tables, uh, dress very well, and coming to worship in um, the first time that we went, it was just, uh, it had some tarps up and uh, some benches that were made out of uh, uh, parts of tree trunks and branches and things like that that were put into the ground and and nailed with uh, nails that um, were found and straightened out and then put in. And no matter what, though, no, no one and nothing and no kind of climate was going to dictate whether they came and worshipped or not. And when they worshipped, oh, I'm sorry to say it would put us to shame. It would. I mean, they, it's just, it, it's awesome um, the way they just, they, they from, from the depths of their lungs, <laughs> their they're singing and they're clapping and they're just praising the Lord. And it's just a great expression of their love for, for, for God. So I am, I want, I want to bring that up from time to time, especially as we're sitting in here 
And some of you may have already thought, it is hot in here. No, it's not. It's hot when, you know, when sometimes um, churches, they they have um, a time of worship and and study outside, and it's 8, 9 o'clock in the morning, and the sun's beating down, and and people are like, man, this is miserable, right? Um, What I'm trying to say is, let's put things in perspective. Who are we here to worship, right? And really, does does that matter? Does it really matter a little discomfort for us to come and worship the Lord? And the answer should be, no, not at all. I'd love for all of us, just, just like I, I said, you know, coming back from Israel, I'd love to take all of you with me next time to Israel. Um, I, I would even more so like to take you guys to Haiti <laughs> to see just the condition in which these people uh, worship the Lord and how it doesn't matter. It just it doesn't matter. But pray. Here's the thing also along with that. We, we are, I mean, this is luxury. This is absolute luxury, and I praise God for what he's done, what, what he's provided. I mean, we just got the floor put in um, after, what, eight years of being here, and um, the Lord blessed us with, uh, with this flooring uh, and so much more. But pray because um, we have three AC units on the roof. One is here, one is in the middle section, and the other one is in the entrance. Um, and especially this one that happens to be in the sanctuary, is ancient. Um, not quite ancient as I am, but it's ancient, like, like maybe 1984 or something like that. So in AC age, that's, uh, that's old, right? And it, and it can't keep up. Um, the fuse is blowing on it constantly. And so I've asked them to consider changing it out. Now... In the, in the previous contracts, it has been that they're fully responsible for the units. Um, well, I, I learned, um, you know, I'm not an attorney, nor I guess do I read these contracts well enough to know that we're fully responsible for these units. Who'd have thunk, right? I was thinking that they were, uh, you know, uh, supposed to replace these when they went bad. But, but no, but here's the thing is the property management is going to bat for us. They're telling the investors, hey, listen, we have, you know, they've been here for eight years. They just signed for three more, and really we should put this in. And so just pray. I mean, the, the Lord can do anything. He can turn the hearts of kings. He can certainly turn the hearts of investors, right? And I know that he's able to do that. So I'm asking you to pray. So those of you who are on Facebook, also pray. And, um, and just know that the Lord can do this. And, and then he can, you know, bring the temperature down a little bit, and, and we can enjoy um, God's word without thinking about being a little warm. But just, I want to start out, though, with just putting things in perspective, just thinking about that. Because even if all of them were out, we'd open up the doors, we'd let the breeze come through, and I'd still be here teaching. And that's it. You know, that's what we're given to. And we should, so we are, as we have been, continuing through our study in the book of Judges. So please turn with me to Judges chapter 4. It's a story of Deborah and Barak, and um, it's just a, a, a wonderful story. I know that uh, there are some things in here that um, seem kind of uh, negative. Well, throughout the book of Judges, actually, there's some negatives, and we are the negatives. And God is the positive. He is the faithful. He is the merciful. He is the graceful. He is the compassionate. He is the one who is, well, 
slow to anger. He is very patient. And so we should always keep that in mind. God's patience with us. Even today, um, I'm just reminded constantly how patient he is and how, how rotten we are. You know, how stiff-necked and stubborn we are. So let's pray and ask the Lord to bless our time in his word. Heavenly Father, we want to commit this time into your hands, Lord. Just asking, Father, for your anointing, Lord, that your spirit would move and give us understanding, that he would teach us, Lord, and help us to know that which uh, is before us, Lord, as we look at this chapter and consider the things that we're going to cover in the story of Deborah and Barak, how it is that you once again heard the cry of your people and, uh, and came through for them, you being faithful. And so you're so wonderful, Lord. You are worthy of our praises. Again, we ask for you to do your effective work in our lives as we study your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, you know, to kind of sum it up, uh, as we go into this chapter, uh, we will see God's faithfulness in the midst of man's uncertainty. Tonight, we will learn about a man that was unassertive and a woman who helps him see victory in God's faithfulness and power. Keep that in mind. Keep that in mind. Because that is exactly, exactly what we ought to be for each other here and now. So we... we have a lot to learn from here. Our response to a timid brother or sister in Christ is always to point to God's faithfulness and encourage someone to act with words and in directing them to the Lord with our actions. With our actions. Not just expecting them to act, but with our actions, guide and direct them and lead them to, to the Lord. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 through 25 says this, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. We'll see that. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So let's begin. Judges chapter 4, verse 1. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud died. And the Lord sold, him, sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Heresheth Hagoyim. And then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, for he had 900 chariots of iron, and he oppressed the people of Israel cruelly. For 20 years. So here's the introduction to this chapter and this segment that we're going to be looking at. And we see here how once Ehud the judge died, it, it didn't take long for Israel to return to doing what was evil in the sight of the Lord. You know, there wasn't someone there. There wasn't, um, you could say, a restrainer. Right? There are people in our lives that if we're if we're really prone to go one way or the other, are considered, I think, because of the Lord and, and how He is, I believe that He's putting those people in our lives to, to serve as restrainers. 
And sometimes we neglect them, we reject them, we turn our backs on them, and we, we, because we don't agree at times with them. But we receive that restraint and an encouragement to be restrained and exercise discipline through them. The judges were that. They were people who led, peop- led the people of Israel, God's people, heroically back to him. All they could do is that which the Lord had told them to do. And they did it heroically. Can you imagine? Okay, I'm going to put you in the most difficult of situations to get them out of it. Sometimes I, I remember, uh, you know, growing up, and uh, I played a lot of baseball, and uh, I remember coming in sometimes, uh, I pitched, I played shortstop, and um, being brought in with bases loaded, it's, you know, we're, we're up by one, bases loaded and no outs. You know, here's the ball, Raul. Go for it. You can do it. You know, go in and... Uh, and hold them there. You know, it, it's kind of like the judges, they're brought in. You know, here's the bottom of the ninth, you know, and these guys are, you know, coming in, they're, they're down, or, you know, the top of the ninth, whatever, and, 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 they're, and they're tossed the ball. You do it. You, you have to lead them out of this and, and help them be victorious. And, uh, and so as soon as Ehud, the judge, died, it didn't take long for them to go back to doing that which was evil inside of the Lord. Broken people, faithful God. The more we see how unfaithful the people were and are, no matter how much of God's favor they were shown, we are less inclined to have any faith in people, but more in a merciful and graceful God. We understand that He's the one that is faithful, He's patient with us, He's compassionate, He's merciful. And he brings us out just one more time. We cry out to him. He brings us out one more time. Because we see the depravity of people. But the faithfulness and mercy and grace of God being revealed. Even more in the midst of such disobedience and evil on the part of God's people. Israel. And that's why we we shouldn't lose heart. We, We shouldn't become impatient personally. And within the body of Christ. We should not grow impatient. We can become a little frustrated. Right? We see things going on and like, man, what's going on here? But we should be part of the solution, not part of the problem. Nor should we all of a sudden run away. Right? It's like, man, you were part of the solution. Why'd you run away? And you got to help it out. The Lord, we should learn from the Lord. The Lord will never leave you. The Lord will never forsake you. And I think, man, that should be our character. We should reflect that. Brother, I will never leave you or forsake you. I can't say that perfectly, but I can tell you I'll try. And I'll give, give it my best shot. We ought, to be, we ought to reflect that character to others. I thank God that he is perfectly perfect. Will never leave us, never forsake us. And when, when he does say that, he follows through with that. God is amazingly patient and willing to forgive. And so, once again, the Israelites, they forsook the Lord. He gave them over to this king of Canaan, Jabin, who oppressed the Israelites cruelly, is the way this is described. He reigned in Hazor, which is located north of the Sea of Galilee. 
And uh, this went on for 20 years. Think about this. 20 years before the cry of the people came before the Lord. How long would it take you, just thinking, if you were taken into captivity and oppressed, to cry out to the Lord? Hopefully not 20 years. You know, maybe like 20 seconds, right? Lord, I'm so sorry. I recognize my sin. It should take us very, very little time. King Jabin had a pretty strong army. It included 900 chariots of iron. So what, it, what, what we're seeing described here is that he was a very formidable enemy of Israel. Uh, please understand, again, how many years did it take for them to cry out to the Lord? 20 years. 20 years. And we need to understand that it was God's purpose to give them into this oppression that they might come to this point and turn back to him. I'm sure the Lord desired for them to come to that point of crying out to him a lot sooner than 20 years. But, but 20 it's okay. 20 years, I'll take that. He's fine with that. Anytime we cry out to him, he hears our cries. He hears our prayers. He hears our cry of repentance, our plea of forgiveness. And he's willing. Because he desires that all should come to repentance. The Lord will use whatever he deems necessary to get our attention for the express purpose of returning to him. Whatever means necessary. Verse 4, as we continue, so that's what the, the children of Israel did, and that's where they were. Verse 4 says, Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lepidoth, was judging Israel at that time. She used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the people of Israel came up to her for judgment. So Deborah is introduced to us, and um, we see here that she is um, she's a prophetess, and uh, she was judging Israel at that time. Let's address that. Women are able to prophesy. They're able to pray publicly. Uh, in fact, they're able to teach. Did you know that? That's why we have teachers in children's ministry. They're able to teach. It, it all depends on where they're teaching, who they're teaching. That's it, right? 1 Corinthians 11.5, if you have any question, you can refer to that. But we also know that they are not to teach or exercise authority over a man. Now, in uh, 1 Timothy, I'll give you the reference. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Um, it, it all has to do with church order, the manner in which God has set everything up, just like in the home, husband and wife. Who is the head of the home? Whoever she says is the head of the home, right? No, no, no. Listen, men. You, we, are the heads of the home. Final accountability sits on your shoulders. My shoulders. Period. That's the way God, God set it up. So therefore, we ought to rise to that and make sure that we are accountable to the Lord. In so doing, that doesn't make us better than anyone else. It just means that we are faithful to the Lord to fulfill the order that he has set in the home. So men be men. Women be women. Oh, you have no idea. Well, maybe you do. Um, understand the, the, the power and influence that you have over us as husbands. Be careful how you use that influence. Be wise and discerning according to the word of God because you are a strong influence on us. 
So, but again, men, that doesn't justify you not acting in accordance with what the Lord desires for you and for me, right? So, we go with the order that the Lord has set for the church. And he said it very clearly. A, a woman was to use her gifts and is to use her gifts today in clear submission to her husband and in the context of order established by the leaders of the church in accordance with the Bible. Not with whatever we want to do as leaders of the church, but in accordance with the Bible. And the same with anyone else within the church. I also want to refer to a few other um, sisters in the Bible. Miriam, she was a prophetess, Exodus 15.20. Ulda, 2 Kings 22.14. Anna, Luke 2.36. And who can forget Philip's four daughters? Philip's four daughters. Acts 21, chapter, uh, uh, verses 8 and 9. So, in light of this, God is not contradicting, contradicting himself by raising up a woman as a prophetess to judge Israel. But then again, if a man doesn't step up to do what he's supposed to do, then women tend to be forced into doing what God has called a man to do. Ah, oh, man, I just, I hate to hear within a church that uh, the ones that are doing all the work are the women. And in, in some churches, that's exactly what you see. The, the first ones to volunteer, women. Where are all the men? Men, come on. Step up. Oh, well, I'm, I'm tired. I work and all that. Stop. We, we all work. We, we all, you know, I, I work too. I work a full-time job outside of, you know, the church and my responsibilities here. And I will not shun my responsibilities here, nor will I shun my responsibilities there. In fact, on the way um, this afternoon, you know, normally I, I get off at 4.30, just to, just to put it in perspective, okay? And I get a call, Kaiser Riverside, you got to go to Kaiser Murillo Valley. Have you guys ever been on the 60 at 4.30 in the afternoon? Yeah, it's, it's the 60 parking lot is what it is right? And so I called Bettina, and, and I was like, well, um, I've been called to Moreno Valley. There's a patient there and family that's bedside, and I need to go. I said, so get my clothes together, and maybe I'll see you at church, right? And so I can change here. That's no problem. We do what we have to do. Um, you know, uh, I know sometimes we get off, and we're, uh, you know, a bit stinky. That's okay. Sit in the back, guys. And uh, <laughs> put a stick of deodorant in your car. You know what we do? We do what we got to do. We do what we got to do. But, men, we, we really have no excuse. We should be serving. We should be leading. We should be setting an example for everyone else. We should be leading. Because I believe that that's the reason why more women uh, rise up and uh, do the things that they are doing within the church because men don't. So somebody has to, right? It is for this reason, though. Just let's, let's think about the time that we're, we're talking about here. It is for this reason that I see this as a reflection of where Israel was at the time. Remember, they were again doing what was evil in the sight of the Lord. 
And, and with this, though, I want to also bring up, and this is my disclaimer, I want to note that this is my observation and something that perhaps is implied but not explicitly stated in the text. I want to be very clear. But if you start looking at everything in context, you kind of start seeing why it is that things are the way they are. You know, talk about, you know, Ray asked, you know, Lord, help us. You know, sometimes we need conviction to repent. We, we need to be corrected. We need to be refined. We need to be straightened out a bit. We need to be redirected. We need to be strengthened, fortified, you know. Uh, the, the base really established within us. Whatever it is that the Lord wants to do this evening, are you allowing him to do it? It's the word. Right? Allow him to do it. Please notice though, that Deborah respected God's people and she respected Barak, who God appointed, and this is what she respected. She respected the fact that he was whom God had appointed over her. It's never an issue of whether a woman can be used greatly by God. They can. We can. All of us can. But rather an issue of headship and final accountability and authority. That is the issue. A woman is to respect the order established by God just as much as a man needs to respect it and act on it also. God chose to use Deborah to judge Israel at this time for his reasons and his purpose. We'll leave it at that. She was a Shaphat, a heroic leader for Israel. And I thank God for Deborah. And so Deborah is introduced, and as we go on, we're going to see how it is that she interacts with Barak. Let's see, uh, verse 6, which says, She sent and summoned Barak, the son of Abinoam, from Kadesh Naphtali, and said to him, Has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you? Go gather your men at Mount Tabor, at, uh, taking 10,000 from the people of Naphtali and the people of Zebulun, and I will draw out Sisera, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the river Kishon with his chariots and his troops, and I will give him into your hand. So it was a question. What Deborah does is to call on Barak to do that which the Lord had already spoken. This was not implied. This was explicitly stated by what she said to Barak. We see here that God had already spoken, and both Deborah and Barak knew it. It wasn't like Barak denied it. It wasn't, he didn't reject it. He, he didn't, nothing, none of that. She was simply stating what was known, and she was calling on Barak to do it. Follow through with it. She started out saying, has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you? And she goes on to put it in quotes as to what the Lord had commanded him to do. It was very clear. He was to gather 10,000 soldiers at Mount Tabor from the tribes of Naphtali and Zebulun. Deborah would draw sister out to the river Kishon, and he would be delivered into the hands of Barak. How wonderful. And so Deborah was telling him, this is exactly what's going to happen. Deborah knew that it was Barak that was supposed to do the fighting and no victory over Sisera. So again, she was simply speaking to him and reminding him and encouraging him to do that which the Lord had already spoken. 
And they both knew it. Verse 8 says, Barak said to her, If you will go with me, I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. And she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory. For the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Then Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kadesh. And Barak called out Zebulun and Naphtali to Kadesh. And 10,000 men went up at his heels. And Deborah went up with him. Remember, God has spoken and Deborah simply reminded Barak and called him to act on what the Lord had already spoken. And the question is, why didn't Barak act without the nudging of Deborah? This should already have been in the process. And yet it took Deborah to come to him and remind him of what the Lord had already spoken. This might be why it was that Barak insisted or gave the ultimatum to Deborah to go with him or, or else. He will not go. No, I will not, unless you go with me. If you know that the other person has a solid relationship with the Lord, and you don't, you're kind of timid spiritually, you're unsure of yourself, you're uncertain, then you may feel more confident having them with you than if you don't. You know, it's kind of like when, when we have someone who, who, who hasn't been walking with the Lord for a long time. He, he's of little faith. And, and there's something like hands and feet. And your friend tells you, I, you know, I'd like to go to hands and feet. Maybe, I don't know, you know. And you know that they're not in the place to where they're very confident in their walk with the Lord. Take them by the hand. In other words, you don't have to do it literally. But what, you, what I mean by that is encourage them by saying, you know what, I'll go with you. I'll go with you. Let's, let's go do this. You know what, I want to serve. I want to serve somewhere. I just don't know where. You're, you're the one that's stronger in, the, in your faith. You've been walking with the Lord for a long time. Just tell them, you know what, what is it that you want to do? You don't know? Well, let's go do this. Let's go do that. You know, let's. Let's go do it. Deborah was such a person. That's why as I, as I read and I studied and I considered what was before us this evening, I wanted to just point out the fact that Deborah was awesome here. How it was that she was there to point Barak back to the Lord? But she did it in such an encouraging way. At the same time, she laid out the facts. She didn't hold that back from Barak either. But she was someone who brought confidence in the Lord to the situation. Deborah told Brock she would go with him, but a girl's going to get the victory, get the glory, I mean, you know. And not the man for knowing victory over the enemy. She was already seeing victory, whereas it is implied that Brock didn't, at least not without her being there. But before we hit Brock too hard, um, can we, qu just quickly, I, I want to just point this out to you. Turn with me, hold your place there, and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. How many of you at this point, reading this story, would say that Barak was faithless? I would. 
right? Because he's not showing any faith, is he? Up to this point. And I'm just saying up to this point. He's just not. But check this out. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon. Oh, look at that next name. Barak? What? Yep, he's in the, the hall of faith. Amazing, right? Barak, Samson, Jephthah of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith did what? Conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, and so on. But he's there. That, that's his name. That's, that's him. That's who we're talking about tonight in Judges chapter 4. Same guy. Same man. Well, that's why I just wanted to take a moment, because up to this point, this man is not demonstrating much faith whatsoever. At least he came, he heard, said he'd go if she went with him. But we're going to see something in Brock. Because we can't, we can't stop there. Someone who expresses a little bit of faith, we can't, we can't leave them there. We shouldn't leave them there. We should be encouragers just like Deborah to bring them along and point them to God and help them to see God's faithfulness. And then they too would be in the hall of faith. Just as Brock and Samson and all the rest. Because you see, Brock may have had little faith, but he had enough faith to be listened, listed as an example of someone who, who did have faith and, and enough faith to conquer kingdoms. It's a little bit of faith. You can do much with a little bit of faith. In fact, faith the size of a mustard seed can move mountains. We may be weak in our faith, but we, if we exercise the little we have, it is enough with God to overcome anything. Anything. Just see. And, and once, you, once the Lord helps you through one thing, it's encouraging and it strengthens you for the next thing. That's what that does. So together they went to Kadesh. And they, along with 10,000 men from Naphtali and Zebulun, went to Mount Tabor. What's interesting is that Barak and his army of 10,000 were on their way to fight an army that had 900 chariots of iron. In other words, here's... Here's the way it would play out today. There are 10,000 foot soldiers. A lot of people. A lot of men. But as they're walking, as they're marching, they see 900 tanks coming toward them. I, I'm sorry, but the 10,000 men to 900 tanks is, is not, not a match. I mean, from a distance, the tank could be taking them out. That's the equivalent. That's what, that's what we're looking at here. To put things in perspective, today's, you know, today's, um, uh, just the way things are today, that, that's what we're looking at here. So then we see in verse 11, now Heber the Kenite had separated from the Kenites the descendants, the descendants of Hobab, the father-in-law of Moses, and had pitched his tent as far away as the oak in Zananim, which is near Kadesh. When Sisera was told that Barak, the son of Abinoam, 
had gone up to Mount Tabor, Sisera called out all his chariots, 900 chariots of iron, and all the men who were with him from Heresheth, Hagoyim, to the river Kishon. And Deborah said to Barak, Up, for this is the day in which the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. Does not the Lord go out before you? So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. And the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and all his army before Barak by the edge of the sword. And Sisera got down from his chariot and fled away on foot. Wow. And Barak pursued the chariots and the army to Heresheth Hagoyim. And all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword. Not a man was left. So the first couple verses here, or the first verse, we see uh, the descendants of Israel through Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, um, identified and working all the way back up to Abraham with Keturah as his second wife. And, and uh, so that's who's identified there. We're going to, in, in a few moments, read exactly uh, why this matters in this story. Um, but that's kind of like a parenthetical statement and in preparation for um, the way it's going to close this evening in this chapter. So uh, the man that we're referring to is Heber the Kenite. Now, going back to the battle that was about to take place and did take place and we see here that Sister, the commander of King Jabin's army, assembled his men, 900 chariots, uh, when he heard that Barak had gone up to Mount Tabor. So he heard that he had gone up. Oh, it's time to go. Take him out. Take the 900 chariots of iron. Time, time to take him out. Sisera came from west of Mount Tabor. So we have the Sea of Galilee. We, we have Hazor uh, to the north. And then we have um, where uh, Sisera was, more towards the coast. And then we have Mount Tabor, so that is below the Sea of Galilee. So just to give you an idea of, of where everything is. So he came from the west to the east to Mount Tabor to the river Kishon, just as Deborah had spoken, the prophetess. And Deborah told Brock, up. Get up! It's time, it's time to rise. Time to rise. I think this word would be good for us. We've already heard the word. At some point, someone's got to tell us at times, up! Time to get up. It's time to go follow through with what the Lord has, has spoken. Right? Hey, you've been timid up to this point. You've shown a little bit of faith. But at this point, it, it's time to get up. And that's what Deborah was telling Barak. Up, this is the day the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Does not the Lord go out before you? Well, words of encouragement. None better can we receive than that. Does not the Lord go out before you? Remember the words that the Lord told to Joshua. I go before you. I'm with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Wherever you go that it will be yours. There's no man that's going to be able to stand before you. And here Deborah's telling him, does not the Lord go out before you? He's going out before you. Again, what an act of faith. What a friend. That's a friend. You know, number one, tells them, get up. Number two, go. The Lord's giving them into your hands. 
We need to encourage each other more with those types of words. Go. Barak, with his army, went down. And it, didn't, it didn't look like he hesitated. There's no word of him hesitating, talking, you know, making some kind of... N- nothing is implied that he hesitated at all. Barak and his army went down and confronted the army of Sisera at once and routed them to the point that not a man was left. And Sisera was running away. In fact... They ran for miles, the men running, and he uh, got off his chariot and was racing away to the west, back to Harasheth Hagoyim, where, where he lived. He's running back. Brock and his army came down from Mount Tabor with such force that they struck great fear in the army of Sisera. I, I love that. And that's what happens. When, 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 a, when a group of God's people have no restraint whatsoever and go forth with great faith in the Lord, this is what happened. Whoa! Is this Barak? Is this one that said, well, if you don't go me, with me, I won't go? And she said, up, go. You know, the Lord has gone out before you. The Lord has handed them to you. Is this the same Barak? Because he got up, 10,000 men, boom, down, and they routed him. Oh, what God can do with the minority in the world's eyes against the majority, the world, it's amazing. Because he doesn't wish to destroy the world. That's the difference. He desires to reconcile the word, the, the world. Uh, unto the Father through the Son. It, it's, it's different. We're not here to, you know, uh, wreck. <laughs> We're not here to destroy. We're here to point to He who reassembles and reconstructs and restores. But this is now Barak expressing some amazing faith. What faith he lacked previously, he didn't lack now. It doesn't matter how much faith we have when we begin, as long as we begin. But it does matter how much faith we exercise when it matters. When it matters, we need to remember those words, or that word, up. Up. We just simply get up and go. The Lord is with us and he goes before us. We go in his power and by his spirit. Not in ours, not in our strength, but in him. And then we see in verse 17, But Sistra, you know, as he ran away, he, you know, fled away on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber, the Kenite. Oh, there he is. So who we learned of earlier in verse 11, now we come back to him in verse 17. So Sistra fled away on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber, the Kenite. For there was peace between Jabin, the king of Hazor, and the house of Eber the Kenite. And Jael came out to meet Sisera and said to him, turn aside, turn aside, my lord, turn aside to me. Do not be afraid. So he turned aside to her into the tent, and she covered him with a rug. And he said to her, please give me a little water to drink, for I am thirsty. 
So she opened a skin of milk and gave him a drink and covered him. And he said to her, Stand at the opening of the tent, and if any man comes and asks you, Is anyone here? Say no. But Jael, the wife of Heber, took a tent peg and took a hammer in her hand. Then she went softly to him and drove the peg into his temple until it went down into the ground while he was lying fast asleep from the weariness. So he died. And behold, as Brock was pursuing Sisera, Jael went out to meet him and said to him, Come, and I will show you the man whom you are seeking. So he went into her tent, and there lay Sisera dead with the tent peg in his temple. Don't mess with Jael. So here we have Heber, he's addressed again. He lives in Kadesh, and his wife, Jael, was there at her tent. Uh, there was a peace between King Jabin and her husband, Heber. And remember, I, I want to remind you of what Deborah had said. Deborah had said that the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. That's what she told Barak, right? So, again, in this story, there's some, there's some twists throughout. And here's one of them. Because who, who was thinking, who wouldn't think that the woman that Deborah was referring to, because Deborah had gone with Brock, would be her. Right? But it wasn't. It was the wife of Heber, Jael. We learn here, and perhaps you, you, you didn't know, but again, we need to also understand the culture of the time, how it is that they lived. And, and it was known that the women in that day would have tents that were separate from their husbands. And, and so here we have this wife that had this tent apart from her husband. And so it was not something that would be expected for Sisera or any man to be found in the tent of a woman, especially someone else's wife. And so for him, he thought, this is safe. Um, as Jael said, come into the tent and covered him with a rug, gave him something to drink. He thought, I'm safe here, especially because there's peace between King Jabin and Heber. Right? There's peace. So I'm, I'm safe right here. So they come to the tent and they ask. She says, no more than likely they're going to believe her and they're going to move on. Instead, as she covered him with a rug and gave him something to drink, and he fell asleep from exhaustion, he found himself with a peg driven through his temple and into the ground. And this drove, I mean, drove it all the way through. There's no way for him to get up. He thought he was safe but she knew that he was the enemy of Israel. And as soon as she saw Barak coming, she called on him to see where Sisera laid with the tent peg in his temple. Come and see. I know who you're following after. I know who you're coming after. Come and see where he lay. Barak was now, at this point, as he was coming, he was after the head of the snake. And they had been cut off, but King Jabin was still around. They may have won this battle, but the war was not over yet. This, this was a huge victory. Huge victory. I mean, just absolutely amazing. 10,000 men, foot soldiers, went up again against 900 chariots of iron. 
And they didn't just have a tough battle and many perished. No, it says they routed them, and there was not one man standing except for the king that ran away. I mean, can you imagine jumped out of the chariot, and he was running for his life? Yeah, it ran him, but he went into the wrong place. So they won that battle. So let's go back. Here is Barak, a timid, uncertain man. There's no assertiveness in him whatsoever. At least we didn't see that there was. Here was Deborah that reminded him of God's word, encouraged him to do that which the Lord had already told him to do, when he still communicated uncertainty, she said, I'll go with you. Only you are not going to get the glory. But we'll go. She came along. As soon as she said, up, the Lord is going before you. He's handed him into, he's given him over to your hands. Uh, he got up, went, went down. He expressed faith. That, I'm sure, gave him more confidence in the Lord. Continue to go. And here we are at the end. Now, the commander, Sisera, the commander of the king of Canaan, Jabin, is dead, done. And in the final portion of this chapter, we see how it is that they continued on. Putting pressure on Jabin and what they did. Verse 23 says, So on that day God subdued Jabin, the king of Canaan, before the people of Israel. And the hand of the people of Israel pressed harder and harder against Jabin, the king of Canaan, until they destroyed Jabin, king of Canaan. And you see how it all progressed. That, that's why as I was looking at this, at this chapter and uh, how it all worked out, I think it's wonderful how the Lord took them. Remember how we started, though. He started out saying, and the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after he had died. And the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan. They spent 20 years there with them. They finally cried out to the Lord. He heard them. And so on and so forth. And we see what happened here. Oppressed just for 20 years. Some people have, been, have turned their, their eyes from the Lord. He, they've turned away from him. Um, just not walking with them. It doesn't matter how long. It depends on the moment that person cries out to the Lord. Oh, his mercy, his grace, his compassion. The Father is there willing with open arms to receive you back in and do the very same thing with you that he did with Brock. From someone who has a little bit of faith to the point to where he's conquering kingdoms. That's what we see. That's, that's the kind of God that we have, that we know, who goes before us. And we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus our Lord, right? What is there that can come against us? If, we're, if he is for us, who can be against us, right? Barak may have been questionable on his faith, but he did have some faith. And when it mattered, he came through. Not only did he come through once, but he used that momentum to keep going and continued pressing the enemy until it was 
completely destroyed. Completely destroyed. And this is how we ought to be with sin. It is not enough to win a battle, but to continue to press the enemy until he is completely destroyed and nothing is left of him. That battle will continue until we are home with our Lord. Until then, always remember to stay in the battle and destroy the enemy. Be, you know, put on the, the full armor of God. Continue to go after him. Because you can rest assured <laughs> that he's always after you. So keep advancing. Remember, the full armor of God is for advancement. It's for forward movement. It's never for a retreat. It's always for forward movement. And in the Lord, with him, we can always be advancing. Uh, looking for ways in which we can bring him glory. And that involves the person. That involves our hearts, our minds. The manner in which we conduct ourselves. God is always at work with us in order that we may more closely resemble the Lord and glorify him. And that's how we advance. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, once again, we thank you for this time that you've given to us to study your word. And uh, Lord, I pray that all of us have been deeply encouraged by this story of Barak and Deborah and how it is that you not only heard the cries of your people, Lord, but you brought someone from a little bit of faith and exercising that little bit of faith um, to doing that which must have been unimaginable or just beyond the thoughts of that perhaps Barak thought he could do. And we know that it isn't him that is doing it for you with him. You went before him. You did this work. And so we too can see your faithfulness, your mercy, your grace, your patience, your compassion, Lord. Oh, just that amazing faithfulness of you to be with us and, and to give us victory over that which you desire us to gain victory over. And so, Lord, we thank you for this time of encouragement and teaching.